lot of us are feeling uncertain right now about a treatment for the virus, the health of friends and family, uncertain about our jobs, paying bills, and in some cases, our ability to retire. How are we supposed to respond to this kind of uncertainty? These messages from Cornerstone will point to our certain hope in Christ. I am so glad that you have joined us for this three-part series entitled, He's Still Got the Whole World in His Hands. And the title of today's message is Certain, which means to be established beyond doubt. Uncertainty is nothing new. We are accustomed to some uncertainty when it comes to politics, the stock market, or our favorite sports team, but we have entered a new season of uncertainty that rivals 9-11 or maybe even the world wars. We've come to a time where our certainty cannot be based on circumstances. Like when has Cornerstone, or for any church for that matter, canceled Easter? Well, we really actually haven't canceled it. We've postponed it. And the first Sunday we come back, we're going to have a big reunion. And then the second Sunday, we're going to have a celebration of the resurrection we're going to party like it's 1999, even though it's 2020. And so we're going to have a great time. Now, every believer, even unbelievers, would all agree that times are uncertain in these present days. But hear me, he still got the whole world in his hands. I want you to turn to someone you're sitting with right now at home, or if you're sitting alone, say it to yourself. Say this like you mean it. He's still got the whole world in his hands. I want you to say it one more time. He's still got the whole world in his hands. One of the most uncertain moments in all history happened in what we call the upper room, the night of Jesus' betrayal, the night of the Passover celebration, where Jesus institutes what we now call communion. Jesus and his men had all gathered for this Passover meal, which was the annual meal that celebrated uh, the commemoration of the Exodus moment, where uh, all the Jews that were Israel that was held in captivity after 400 years was, was made the Exodus, that after 400 years of God seeming faithless, he was faithful. After 400 years of unanswered prayer, there was a huge answer to prayer. After 400 years of slavery and harsh treatment, there God raised up a deliverer. His name was Moses, and he led his people out of bondage. Moses stood up to the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh, and God delivered them against that man's will, and they became the nation of Israel that brought forth the Messiah. I'm telling you, we need to understand that God still has the whole world in his hands. 
Now, 1,400 years after that Exodus moment, we come to this upper room celebration, this upper room Passover moment where Jesus is gathered with his disciples to commemorate that event. And the disciples are a bit distracted. That's an understatement, that they're a bit distracted. Things are not going well. Their popularity as, a, as an entourage following Jesus has greatly diminished. They were puzzled that day because Jesus did not enter Jerusalem during the day. He comes under the secrecy and cover of night. And, and there's all this mystery surrounded about this moment, about where they're going to have the Passover celebration. And, and the disciples knew that there was a movement afoot to have Jesus arrested, to have him tried and convicted of crimes that he didn't commit. And Judas, well, that man, he was acting very strangely. It was a night of epic uncertainty. The certainty that the followers of Jesus had grown accustomed to had vanished. Had vanished in just a few days. Now there was more questions than answers. The disciples had done Passover, but not a Passover like this one. This Passover was very different. Last year, thousands of people thronged around Jesus, around his teaching, around the miracles. He was vaulted into celebrity status in Palestine. But now the momentum had turned. There were rumors that there was a group of people trying to arrest and, uh, him and get him alone and, 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 and put these charges against him. The disciples knew that if Jesus went down, they all went down. And so we call it the Last Supper because... It was the last time that Jesus would celebrate the Passover with them on earth. Certainty had vanished. Then Jesus said these unsettling words at that supper moment. He says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Then he began, they began to be sorrow, sorrowful and he said, uh, and, and to say to him one, one after the other, is it I, is it I? And he said to them, it is the one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. And now they, the disciples, they already knew the answer to what Jesus was saying. Because in that intimate setting, there is that moment where Jesus and Judas are dipping their bread in the same bowl at the same time, and everyone knew who the betrayer was that betrayer. And so can you imagine how this is a backstabbing moment for all of them? One of the most intimate settings in that culture was to share in the Passover meal. What an insult in this moment. And a chill must have went down everyone's spine when Jesus said this, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. In this family of disciples, there is a deceiver, Judas. The certainty once present in this band of brothers has now vanished. And a few days before this, life was up and to the right for all of them. They were the most popular men on the planet, as in their minds. Now, there's this epic crash of certainty. Everything has vanished that they once knew. The most helpful thing, you see, that we can do for ourselves 
in a time such as this is read the Bible. Because it contains stories of people's lives who's, uh, who were upended. They, I mean, they woke up and it was a whole new day they had never expected. I mean, uh, we're reading about stories about people who, who, whose lives are dramatically changed, but God is still in their midst. I'm preaching. Are you listening? Most of the human stories we read in the Bible were written in environments of uncertainty. This book is not filled with feel-good messages of a world uh, that we don't live in. It's not a book of people living in a land free from divorce, free from illness, wrinkle-free stories of prosperity, of people who get married on Monday, land a great job on Tuesday, have two kids by Wednesday, and Friday they're debt-free. That's not the stories we read about in the Bible, not at all. The Bible has stories like this one about a frightened mother named Jehokabed who wrapped her baby boy in a blanket and then put him in a basket and floated him down the Nile River so he would not be killed by Egyptian soldiers. It's about a teenager named Joseph who from the bottom of a pit listened above to his brothers who were debating whether to kill him or sell him into slavery. It's about a king named David who woke up one morning to find out that his son Absalom was going to try and kill him and overtake his kingdom. It's about a father named Joseph who was awakened in the middle of the night when an angel told him to leave his home immediately to leave Nazareth right away and head to Egypt because Herod's sword was coming their way. It's about a preacher named Paul who proclaimed the promises of God, but at the end of his life found himself in prison and facing uh, a beheading. The Bible is filled with stories of people facing uncertainty and discovering that God is not absent when their world is shaking, but he is diligently at work accomplishing his will in their world and their lives. And now more than ever, we need to be reading the Bible because these are the stories that are so relevant to our lives today. We are reminded that that God has the whole world in his hands because he created the whole world. God has the whole world in his hands because he sustains the world. And God has the whole world in his hands because he gave his son to redeem this world. Our story is just filled with, with, with God's presence if we just look for it. Now in this story of the, of the, of the upper room, I want to continue where the disciples are going to be even more shaken and they're going to miss the significance of a few statements of Jesus. He took bread after blessing it. He broke it and he gave it to them and he said, Take this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank all of it. And he said to them, This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Have you ever had a moment where you were so unsettled, so upset that you had difficulty eating or drinking? This is how the disciples are feeling in this moment. I remember one time when I was a little guy, I faced down my first full plate of eggplant. I thought, there's no way I'm going to eat this food. This smelled bad, it looked bad, but my mom had made it, and everyone had left the table but two people, myself and my dad, who sat on the other end. And we had a stare-down competition. And then when he threatened to give bodily harm to me if I did not eat what was set in front of me, 
I very upset, tears coming out of my eyes, snot coming down my nose. I began to eat this eggplant, and I didn't taste it. I didn't want it, but I shoved it down. You know, it's just one of those moments where it was just hard to eat because I was so upset, and I was missing what my dad was trying to teach me, and that was to be thankful for whatever you're given to eat. And I, I finally got the lesson. You know, I finally figured that out. But we're here in a moment where these disciples are having a hard time just eating a small portion of bread and drink juice because their world has been upended. Everything that they've known for the past three and a half years has changed dramatically. And at the institution of the Lord's Supper, no one ate with joy. No one ate with certainty except Jesus about what the next few days would, would hold for them. And so what Jesus is doing is he is illustrating through this uh, celebratory meal we call communion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And, and they would leave that room and they would miss some other things that he would say because they're so unsettled. Their lives are so upended. As they exit the room, they head up the Mount of Olives, this small mountain just outside of Jerusalem, this small hill. And as they're walking up there, he says to all of them now, he says, oh, and by the way, all of you will forsake me tonight. You know, Peter gives that rebuttal. He says, no, not me, Lord. And Jesus turns to him and says, yes, Peter, even you before the cock crows three times, you're going to betray the Son of Man. They were so troubled by hearing this information. They were so unsettled by hearing this information. They completely miss the very next words that he says. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Have you ever noticed this before? I mean, this should have been affirming words to them. This should have been words to them that settled all their doubts, that gave them uh, a foundation for that moment. But no, they, they don't even hear it. They totally missed what Jesus said. They haven't got past this idea that the life that they once knew is now vanished. They haven't got past the fact that they're all going to become deserters. Have you... Like myself, have you ever forgotten God's promises in the midst of your life blowing up? I have. It, 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 it's hard to believe Jesus' promise. It's hard to remember Jesus' promises like this one, I'll never leave you or forsake you, when you hear your spouse say, I don't love you anymore. It's hard to know that, that, that God is going to take care of you when you're handed a pink slip. It, it, it's hard to stand beside a coffin and think about the resurrection to come. I mean, in those moments when our life is unsettled and changed and dramatically upended, we must remember that God's promises are certain and that that certainty is necessary when waves of uncertainty bury us. So here's a question that I hope you'll answer. Here's a question that I, I hope you'll answer yes to. But in the face of uncertainty of our nation and our economy and all that type of thing, is it possible that God is still active, still accomplishing His purposes when there is no indication of His activity? Is it possible that God is moving forward when the world is moving backward? Is it possible that, that God is bringing light in the middle of a dark room, in the middle of a dark place? Is it possible that God is at work when you wake up to a new normal? 
Is it possible that God is going to work in your life when you have been a deserter? When you have been a backstabber? When you have failed God miserably? Is it possible that God is still at work in your life? We've come to a time uh, where we are certainly cannot base our life on circumstances. And, and we're going to continue in an extraordinary experience of uncertainty in jobs and culture and government and the economy, in our retirement plans, in our scholarships, in our ability to go to school or whatever. I mean, there's all types of things that are just up in the air right now. It's a time of epic uncertainty. And with all this uncertainty, I hope you can say yes to this question that God is still active when there is no indication of His activity in our lives or in our, in our, in our world's lives. And so, uh, in that upper room, imagine, imagine you were able to go back and talk to those disciples, uh, say a few months after the resurrection, all right? And you're able to interview them as a group. And, and you're, you said, hey, guys, when was the darkest moment for you when you were following Jesus? When did you have the least amount of hope? When did you begin to wonder, hey, did we follow the wrong guy? I bet they would say in that upper room during that Passover meal. And if you were to ask them another question that goes something like this, when did you find out there was such great hope uh, in Jesus? When, when did you figure out that Jesus was really God, that he, he knew what he was getting into and he knew what he was accomplishing? I bet they'd say in that same moment in that upper room. When life seems uncertain, God is certainly at work. And so the uncertainty that surrounds the crucifixion was crushed by the certain resurrection. I mean, this historic event is so important to bring stability to our shaky hearts, to bring uh, a courage in the midst of fear. And so if we were to ask these disciples, when was the moment that you knew that God was Jesus and Jesus was God and he was, he was in control of what was going on, they would say, well, certainly at the resurrection, we knew when we saw the resurrected Lord that, that God was with us. And so, I want you to embrace this next simple truth. I, I, I hope this is what you take home. I, well, you're already at home. I hope this is what you bury in your hearts, right? Times are uncertain, but Christ and His church are not. We follow a certain God. We follow a God who brings stability in the midst of chaos. And someone watching or listening to this message right now might have been trying to bring certainty to their life through bankrolling a lot of money or through their 401k. Uh, they might be trying to find certainty through their beauty or their popularity. Someone out there might have been trying to find certainty through their work or their family or their education. Some might be trying to find certainty through religiosity, right? So think of this. Think of the Christian who, uh, whose faith is based on the traditions that they normally are accustomed to. They go to church on these days. And when they go to church, they do these things. And, and because of these things, they know that God is in control. But now all that's been torn away, torn away for a season. 
And now we can no longer base our confidence on circumstances, but Christ alone. The only answer to uncertain times is Christ and his church. The most lasting name of all time is Jesus. The most lasting community of all time is his church. So I want you to surrender your uncertainties that you have about the future to a certain God. I want you to surrender uh, your uncertainties about God accepting you to his certain love. I want you to surrender your, uh, your, your shame uh, to a certain grace that's found in Jesus Christ. And I want you to surrender your life of sin to the certain righteousness of Jesus. These are times where where our world seems to be shaking. But I'm telling you, God still has the whole world in His hands. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You so much for the stories in this amazing book. I thank You for these epic tales of you stepping into people's lives and you just taking the circumstances that are so distraught and bringing clarity to people and most of the time we cannot see it until we look back and so father right now i know there's a lot of people their eyes are on just what's right in front of them but father help us all to look up to you help us all to look into the word of god and father help us all to look back to the resurrection of jesus christ you still have us in your hands. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.